BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Lily Jamali. Some lawmakers are calling for more accountability from Governor Gavin Newsom. This after an investigation from CAP Radio and NPR's California Newsroom found that Newsom has overstated the wildfire prevention work completed during his time in office. CAP Radio's Scott Rod reports. Newsom entered office promising to tackle California's wildfire problem. We are stepping up our game. Uh, I... I hear you. I get it. Uh, We need to do more and do better. Uh, These last two years have been devastating. The governor ordered Cal Fire to complete a series of priority projects that included forest thinning and prescribed burns. He claimed the projects treated 90,000 acres. But Cal Fire's own data shows the state completed less than 12,000 acres of prevention work on those projects. Cal Fire now claims the work they did do helped protect the full project area. Some lawmakers want answers from the governor. Here's Republican Assemblyman Vince Fong. Last year, Californians endured the most catastrophic wildfire season on record. At at a minimum right now, we need an oversight hearing to get all the facts, to get all the details, and to hold the governor and our state agencies accountable. Our investigation also found Newsom cut spending on wildfire prevention by $150 million last year. The governor is proposing a substantial increase in this year's budget for fire prevention. Newsom and the legislature are in the final stages of spending negotiations. Fong, who is on the Assembly Budget Committee, says the governor's track record on fire prevention will likely impact the talks. For the California Report... I'm Scott Rod in Sacramento. California Secretary of State Shirley Weber has confirmed that there are officially enough signatures to place a recall of Governor Newsom on the ballot. Only 43 signatures were withdrawn from the recall petition over the six weeks when voters were allowed to change their minds. As KQED's Scott Schaefer reports, the recall timeline is definitely on a fast track. We've known for weeks that this recall would happen, but when? The legislature has some built-in wiggle room to give more flexibility on whether to have the election take place relatively quickly or later. Brandon Straysner, senior research fellow with the California Constitution Center at UC Berkeley, says most of those involved in completing the legal steps are finishing up at or before their deadlines. And reading the tea leaves, it looks like the election will probably take place sometime in September And under the procedures, it was possible that it could have been as late as December or possibly even maybe early next year. 
Even before the final cost estimates to run the election are in, the legislature has waived its right to take more time for analysis and is planning to put $250 million into the state budget, most of that to cover counties' costs of running the election. East Bay State Senator Nancy Skinner heads the Senate Budget Committee. Given that we are doing the budget now, it just makes sense for us to include that expenditure in the budget. So that will help everything. By help, she means expedite the process. Democrats like Skinner seem united in moving the process along to hold the election as early as possible. But county election officials are asking that it be no earlier than September 14th to give them time to design, print, and mail the ballots. More than 70 candidates have already announced their intention to run as a replacement to Governor Gavin Newsom if voters choose to recall him from office. For the California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer. The effort to reunite migrant families torn apart by the Trump administration's immigration crackdown continues. Just yesterday, eight parents were reunited with their children. That's in addition to 13 others who were reunited with their kids this past weekend. But even with the Biden administration's Family Reunification Task Force, a recent report finds that more than 2,000 children may still be separated from their parents. KQED's Michelle Wiley reports. Brian Chavez and his mother fled Mexico in 2017. He was 15 years old and being targeted by gangs. They came to the U.S. where the two were separated in San Diego. Now, almost four years later, Chavez says his mother has been granted permission to return as part of the Biden administration's new family reunification process. When we're kids, the thing that we need the most is our parents right next to us, giving us support and they love. Here's how the new process works. Family members can apply for humanitarian parole, even if they've been deported. If they're approved, they can stay in the U.S. and apply for work authorization or potentially restart an asylum application. But that status is temporary, lasting up to three years. For Chavez's mother, the parole is only one year. He says she worries every night that they could be torn apart again. Is it going to be just only one year? Am I going to stay here longer? Are they going to change their mind and just come and take me out? Am I going to have to go through the whole process of being separated from my son again? Since President Biden promised to make family reunifications a priority for his administration, advocates have been pushing his office to find permanent solutions for families who are separated. According to ACLU attorney Legal Learnt, who's been representing these families in a class action lawsuit, permanence is one of the key issues in negotiations with the government. That people not be sent back to danger, that they not be re-traumatized, that they not live with the, the trauma of potentially being sent back. So that is, you know, foremost in the negotiations. They're also working to secure wraparound social services and compensation for families. But some advocates are concerned about how long the process is taking. To my mind, if their goal is the same, right, to remedy the harm, then there should not be much dissension between the two sides. That's Carol Ann Donahoe, managing attorney for the Family Reunification Project at Al Otro Lado, a California-based immigrant rights organization. She says she's already hearing from concerned family members. We are getting calls, you know, like, okay, what's going to happen? We can't really say. We can say, well, you have this three-year parole safety net. But at the moment, we can't say anything more than that. Donahoe says establishing permanent status is about protecting the families long term, especially from any potential future changes in administration. For the California Report, I'm Michelle Wiley. 
Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. L.A. Mayor Eric Garcetti's floated ambassadorship in India appears to be in limbo for now. For the last few weeks, the mayor has been embroiled in a widening scandal having to do with a former top political aide, Rick Jacobs. Jacobs is accused of sexually harassing a former LAPD officer who once served on Garcetti's security detail. Recently unsealed court testimony suggests that Garcetti witnessed inappropriate comments and did nothing to stop it. And the attorney for two witnesses in the case says her client's testimony backs up the allegations of inappropriate conduct by Jacobs. KPCC's Libby Dunkman joins me now with more. Good morning, Libby. Good morning, Lily. Let's start with the latest developments affecting Garcetti's inner circle. His chief of staff was just placed on leave. Talk about what happened there. Ana Guerrero is a longtime aide to Garcetti. She has been his chief of staff for 13 years, dating back to his time on the city council. And she was just placed on leave on Tuesday when more Facebook posts that she made a few years ago, dating back to 2016, surfaced in the media. They contained sexually explicit comments about other city staff and also derisive comments about iconic politicians and and even the labor leader, Dolores Huerta. So these posts were first surfaced by the LA Times And since then, Garcetti has said he's disappointed in the posts and the language. Guerrero has apologized, but we did learn yesterday that he has officially placed his longtime top aide on administrative leave for at least a month unpaid. After 13 years serving with him, that's really something. Why does this all matter so much right now, Libby? Well, you mentioned this sexual harassment lawsuit regarding Rick Jacobs. This is a big deal because it speaks to the workplace culture of the mayor's office and how much commentary like what Guerrero displayed on Facebook was either accepted or tolerated during the time that Matthew Garza, the LAPD officer who is suing the city over Rick Jacobs' alleged activities, uh, was there. Now, Garza says that Rick Jacobs was giving unwanted hugs, shoulder massages, saying inappropriate things to Garza over the course of many years when he served on the the mayor's security detail. The mayor under oath has said that he did not witness any of this. 
And he would not have tolerated any kind of sexual harassment if he had known about it. Other top aides like Ana Guerrero and more have also said they didn't witness anything like this. However, there is testimony on the record now from a former mayoral aide who said, yes, Rick Jacobs did give unwanted massages and made comments that he considered inappropriate. And there is also a a former director of one of the mayor's charities, the Mayor's Fund L.A., who says he heard Garcetti joke that he was surprised Rick Jacobs worked in City Hall and that they were not subject to a lawsuit. And Libby, you also you have broken some news recently related to deposition testimony that is still right now under seal in this sexual harassment lawsuit. What did you learn? Yeah, some of the testimony in the discovery phase of this lawsuit is already public, but this testimony is under seal based on a confidentiality agreement that both sides, the city attorney's office and the plaintiff's attorney have agreed to. This is the attorney for two witnesses who spoke to me exclusively about what her clients testified to under oath. Their testimony is currently not available to the public, but the attorney said it's important that people know that her clients either witnessed activity by Rick Jacobs that was inappropriate or heard commentary by Rick Jacobs that was inappropriate or have documents related to uh, Rick Jacobs' inappropriate conduct. And I know you're going to be following that story. Thank you for all the reporting you've done thus far. Libby Denkman is with KPCC. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Lily. And that is the California Report for this Thursday, June 24th. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. Thank you for listening. Support for the California Report comes from Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash AdaptingCare. And Personal Capital, helping people take control of their finances with financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary advisor. PersonalCapital.com. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randad Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures. Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. 
Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Happy reading!